Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Six and Out podcast. It's Greg here. Thanks for uh, for joining us. I have my friend uh, Brett along with us today to continue reviewing some of the World Cup squads. Brett, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Glad to be back. Um, yeah, not, nice little break to freshen up for everything. But uh, it's the the World Cup is fast approaching, so we we better get cracking on some of these previews. Yeah, we 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 need to get through a few. I think I think we even may have to throw some of the uh, some of the qualifying groups under the bus because there's so much to get through. But so apologies to anybody who's a fan of the UAE, Netherlands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but we're we're gonna cover we'll cover Australia and England to the to the biggies today. Uh, I think, uh, and like you said, I think are we? It might be like ten days till it kicks off. It's a bit mad. It's it snuck up pretty quickly. But um, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna cover Australia and England. Um, given that Australia, well, they're actually just finishing up a T twenty against the Wendy's right at this moment in time. So why don't we why don't we start there? There's plenty to talk about this team as I was looking through it. Um, let's 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 start off with the squad they put together, and we'll just run through quickly the batting. Uh, and I'll include some of the all-rounders here because I think there's some fairly interesting questions we can ask around this. So in terms of the batting, you've got Finch as captain. Uh, you've got Josh Inglis, who's a, a wicket-keeping option. Steve Smith, Matty Wade, who's, I think, the real wicket-keeping option and will probably keep, and David Warner. Um, I'll mention the all-rounders as well. You've Tim David, who's been dro- brought into the squad. Mitch Marsh, uh, who was, I guess, pivotal as they won the the, the competition last year. Glenn Maxwell and Marcus Stoinis. So I'll start off with maybe the guy who's not named in that squad, which is probably the biggest question mark for him to say, which is Cameron Green. And I think when you think about Cameron Green and you think about that squad, you can't help but say to yourself, what is the starting batting lineup going to be and how does it work if Cameron Green's not that squad? So let me let me ask you first, Cameron Green, do you think he's brought into that squad in the next week and a half do you see that happening yes i think so and up until well last week or last week and a half i probably wouldn't have considered it because i've gone okay you think about the roles he's played for australia he's normally batted in the mid to lower order and played as a a genuine all-rounder and been a bowling option but that call to to put him at the top of the order in the T20 series against India, it's just kind of unlocked a whole another set of options. And I don't think they could leave him out. Like I could probably rattle off a couple of players that, that could be in the gun in the squad. Like someone like maybe a Josh Inglis isn't really going to see a hell of a lot of game time. It'd be harsh on the kid because and he's got a big future, but is he better? Are we better served having Cameron Green in the squad and at least having the option of him? Probably yes. Kane Richardson is another one. Like he's in there picked as a bowler, but um, I don't see him getting too much game time ahead of the sort of big three of Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins. If well, one of them were to get injured, they could always bring him into the squad then. Yeah, and and. To, well, I mean, we're touching on the bowling options here, but the bowling seems probably the most settled element of this this Aussie squad. The thing that gives me pause for for thought is, um, I think that look, you have you have, you have Mitchell Marsh and you have uh, Marcus Stoinis, who would be the quick the quick bowling all rounders in there. I think Stoinis has been rested for this West Indies series. 
because of a, a side strain, you've got Marsh, who's still not bowling in the in the T20 that's going on at the moment because of an ankle injury. Um, I just wonder if Stoinis maybe start, stands out to us. It'd be tough to drop Stoinis because he has been in that lineup for a good while. Um, but I wonder if that if that injury would you would you pick Stoinis as a, an out and out batsman if he wasn't bowling over someone like a Cameron Green? That's a tough question. Like, I mean, Stoinis does have some runs on the board, probably runs on the board over a longer period of time uh, domestically and in sort of previous World Cups than than Green. Like, he was pretty pivotal in a few matches in the T20 World Cup last time around where Australia won. Had a good little partnership with Matty Wade sort of finishing off the innings. Um, you're going to have Tim David in that mix around the sort of five, six, seven thing as well. I like. I think if Green comes into the squad, he's coming in as a replacement of someone in the the top end of the order. It, it's a it's a tough one, right? Because if you don't if you don't select him and the issues with, I mean, Finch has just had a half century. I think, but he was on his way to half century in this warm up game. Uh, I kind of had almost forgotten about Warner completely as I watched that India series because Cameron Green was doing such special things. But I think it's it's one of those things that in hindsight it'll be very obvious what should have been done. But at the moment, it's very hard to call. Uh, Finch can win you matches. Uh, Warner can win you matches. Uh, Mitch Marsh has been very, very effective at that third down position. Um I mean, we're we're throwing out a lot a lot of names, but Steve Smith is another one where who, who his his place in that squad has been questioned. But as a man who 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 can kind of steady and steady in innings, and if it's going to be a low total, he's probably going to hang around for a good while and uh, good running between the wickets, which is something you highlighted last week. There may be a, a number of areas that Cameron Green could slot in. There's going to be one area where it doesn't go well for Australia is someone in that lineup doesn't perform in the World Cup. And I think that's going to be the, oh, well, the Green should have gone in there. But very, yeah. very, very difficult to, to to remove anyone in that in that squad, let alone the the 11 that actually starts to get Green in, despite how impressive he was. I mean, I think you you texted me during the week, last week, saying that he, he could be the most expensive IPL player of all time next year. Like, that's how good the performances were. Yeah. And look, I think I think they're definitely considering it. And the fact that Finch batted four in that T20 tonight against the West Indies is just showing that uh, maybe they they want to give him the maximum amount of time to to prove himself. Because admittedly, a three game sample size against India, who we've been pretty good at documenting their their issues with the ball. Um isn't a great sample size leading into a World Cup. It might just be that he's left his run a fraction too late. Mm-hmm. I'll, if Stoinis doesn't come up from this side strain, uh, Green 100% walks into the squad. But I just don't think he can... I think the 11, particularly in the T20 front, has been pretty set for a long time. That yeah. uh, I just don't think... Like, as much as they'll be tempted to do it, I don't think they'll pull the trigger. I think they'll show a bit of faith in the guys that it pretty well got the job done last time around, particularly if some if Finch and Warner keep making runs. 
Yeah, and perhaps maybe the fact that they're playing on home soil where Finch has been incredibly effective in the past, where Warner has been magnificent, um, is a reason to to hold on to them at the top. I, I think without Green in the mix, I think the 11 kind of picks itself pretty quickly um, yeah. in the batting order. With Green in, that kind of maybe, maybe it causes more problems than it's actually worth um, to to have him in the squad. Um, because it, I think we would agree that Finch, the, the whole Finch, Warner, Marsh combination opens up nine times out of ten. And yeah. then you kind of had that that kind of flexibility as based on the on the game situation, whether you want somebody like a like a Maxwell to come in and have a have a quick blast, or whether you want a Steve Smith to come in to set the innings, or like a Stoinis or a Matty Wade, who's I, I think is a Matthew Wade is an, a very, very underrated finisher in the T twenty game. We talk about the other wicketkeeper batsmen in the world, Josh Butler obviously opens, but you talk about Rishabh Pant and, and Dinesh Karthik. I think I think Matty Wade is belongs in the conversation with them in terms of finishing, based on what he's been able to do in, in the past yeah. um, as well. Yeah, I think in terms of their eleven, there's really only one question for me, and it's it's going to be which two out of the three of Smith, Maxwell, and Tim David get a game. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Stoinis is pretty well going to start at number six. The same with Wade at seven. Finch, Warner, Marsh, one, two, three. So you're talking number four, number five. You go with the stability of Steve Smith and his ability, that flexibility that he'll give you and his ability to work the ball around, find the gaps, keep the score ticking, Mm. which is pretty important in Australia, particularly on big grounds like the MCG. Or do you just go sort of balls to the wall with with power, Maxwell and Tim David, and just back in batting depth and go, okay, well, we're going to try and make 220. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's a good segue to uh, to move on to the bowling unit because I think if there is a if there is a more complete bowling unit for this World Cup, I think the Aussies have it. Um, Adding in the fact that many other uh, sides have injury injury doubts around it, mm. um, I think that the four bowlers that kind of pick themselves automatically are Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, and Zampa. I don't know if you would disagree with that. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So, so in your in our last podcast, you kind of outlined it, we got got the impression that to be successful in Australia, you need to have people who run between the wickets and the batting side of things. Um, but on the bowling unit, that's where the game can kind of be won and lost more consistently. Yeah. So you have Stark as your out and out quick. You have Zampa mm-hmm. as your highly you know skilled wrist spinner. Hillswood, I would see as a banker. I think Hillswood is always going to be able to give you good economical opening of the bowling, can take yeah. good uh, wickets. I think actually Hillswood could be a, a contender for a golden ball for this World Cup just based on how many yeah. overs he's going to bowl. He's bowling with one of the better sides in the tournament. Um and then Cummins, as you know, is well, captain of the test team, so highly respected in there and and very, very handy. The other two options are Kane Richardson and Ashton Agar. Do you see any any circumstances under which they get in ahead of the, the names we just mentioned? Um, potentially Agar if we're faced with a spinning pitch, potentially a worn pitch that's had a few games on it. They do like to play you know, when they've played quite extensively 
in the lead up, uh, Agar and Zampa in the same side, and they do bowl well as a partnership. But Agar's what Agar's got going against him has been the fact that Maxwell has actually been bowling really well for a guy who was probably just a part-time all round, uh, like part-time off spinner. The last few series and like the series that they've played over in the subcontinent, he's bowled, and admittedly in spinning conditions, he's bowled really, really well and probably becoming a more than useful bowling option in limited overs cricket. Um, I noticed in the in the few games that he played in the hundred, he actually opened up the bowling on some of those some of those tracks in in England. Uh, I'm not sure if Australia really lends itself to that. Maybe you would if you get a, a turning pitch or a slower pitch. But I'd like to fancy most of the fast and bouncy yeah, pitches. Not uncommon for him to try and sneak an over in in the first two uh, when he plays in the big bash. Whether or not they do it on the international stage will be a different question. Um, but yeah, no, he is the the captain of the the Melbourne Stars over here, and not uncommon for him to bowl an over or two in inside the power play, try and a get one off the board and b see if he can't sneak a wicket. Yeah, um, particularly if um, facing like if two left handers open the batting, that's when he tends to open the bowling more so. Gotcha, gotcha. Um... Just going back to Agar, uh, Zampa obviously is not much of a batsman. Does Agar, I, I just cast my mind back to that ridiculous innings he played about 10 years ago in the Ashes where he almost hit a century. Um, does Agar offer you more with the bat? I mean, I'm looking at Tim David on that side. He's probably the, after Maxi, the only the only all-rounder that bowls a wee bit of, wee bit of tweak. Um, does Agar offer you enough batting that you would consider getting David out of that side and, and he would prop up the batting a bit or not really viewed in that way? Nah, not really. He's he's a definite bowling all-rounder. They did try for a little while when they were messing around with some combinations about playing him as a genuine all-rounder, even to the point that I'm pretty sure in when Sri Lanka were here last summer, or the summer before, you now last summer, for some T20s, they actually had Agar opening the batting for a bit oh, wow. just to see if there was a way that they could shoehorn him into a role and allow them to play five genuine bowlers. Interesting. Okay, so um, I'm going to ask you what the what the potential downfalls of this Aussie side could be. I mean, they have one big advantage in that they don't have to take a plane to get to the country, unlike the West Indies, which Sheldon Sheldon Cottrell, you know, screwed that up royally. But if they're if this is to be a disaster for Australia, what are the things that are going to go wrong for them? And I, I have to admit, I I kind of struggled to answer this question myself. Um, I think they're very well placed, but if there is something, what is it that you see? I think, and I agree. I think they're they're very well balanced. There, they've got a good mix of power. They've got some innovative shot makers. They've got people who can sort of rotate strike as need be, and they've got a very 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 good bowling attack. Probably one of the most well rounded and balanced bowling attacks. Uh, in the tournament, but if it goes wrong for Australia, and I know, say they, if they're getting bundled out, even if it's a semi or it's before a semi, it's probably because the batting hasn't fired. It looks like the some of those question marks are starting to resolve themselves, but um, yeah, if we 
sort of can't get off to a good start in the power play, might put ourselves in a position where we leave too much to the guys at the back end. And like they were very successful in the the T20 World Cup over in the UAE, but that's probably where, like most Australian sides recently, yeah, they do have a little bit of a tendency to to lose wickets in bunches. Yeah, and I, I, look, I think you can select an eleven from that. The bat's very, very, very deep. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, if if you're leaving Tim David and Glenn Maxwell, and then maybe the top of the bowling unit, somebody like a Stark or a Cummins, to be chasing down sixty, seventy, that, that I think that's where yeah. you maybe get into trouble. Um, I still think that's that's going to be a an issue that every single side faces in one to two games in this tournament. And that I think you've mentioned this in the past. I mean, T twenty T twenty is a roll of a dice sometimes, and in, in these tournaments, you can play so well. Ask Pakistan about this. You can play so well in the group stages. You can blow away everybody else, but you come down to where a game where you have a couple of things that don't go your way or a couple of silly shots, and it can really just derail a tournament in the matter of of two to three overs. So it's interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, that's that's Australia. Anything else you want to add there on on the Australian side of things before we move on to the the old enemy? No, I think they're in in terms of previewing them. I think because that this side has been so settled and all the names have been doing it for a long time, uh, they're probably one of the more boring sides to preview. To be honest, just <laughs> because we we sort of know what to expect, particularly in Australian conditions. Um, but what I do think is. Next time around for a T20 World Cup, you're going to see a, a reasonable amount of generational change in this squad. Like this is probably the last hurrah for and a T20 World Cup for a, a good four or five people in this squad, if not more. Yeah, um, Finch we know is 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 hanging up the boots most more than likely, and uh, Matty Wade quite on into his career. Steve Smith, it's been yeah. documented whether he should be in the team. David Warner, does he make it two years from now? I think he probably is still... I mean, that's that's a 50-50 for me, whether he, he could be yeah. there or not. Yeah. Um, Mac, Maxwell, same, but yeah. into his mid-30s uh, and has been in a pretty diabolical run of form, to be honest. Yeah. With the bat, um, it could... He might not be floating around too far. Yeah. He played a he played a very questionable shot in the in the T twenty today. Yeah, uh, given the circumstances, yeah, the real club cricket kind of shot. Oh, look, the leg spinners on. Let's try and hit him out of the whole <laughs> stadium. Um, and even the bowlers, they might wouldn't be surprised if you maybe see someone like a, a Hazelwood, or maybe not Hazelwood, but Stark or Cummins perhaps have to choose a a format at some stage and go. Yeah. Okay, I can't play all three. I, I was I was thinking about that as as I I looked on and and you know we're not going to talk about a couple of other teams coming up but all, the Aussies do have a, a bowling unit that's very set but they're also one of the only teams in the tournament who have a bowling unit with the exception of Zampa that walks into their ODI and their Test unit and and easily as well I mean if you look at yeah. well think about England in a while Broad and Anderson are not in their ODI setup at all but they are the first names on the team sheet usually uh, for England. Um, India have that kind of uh, that kind of flavor of some players playing Test cricket, some playing the white ball game. But 
could be the last kind of set of three or four bowlers that we see walking into every form of cricket for a team. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, given the way the cricket's going, so it's an interesting, interesting yeah, one. I agree. I think probably looking at who some of the guys who might be the next generation of T20 bowlers for Australia may not have the same sort of capacity to then go and play test cricket. You look at someone like a Nathan Ellis. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll probably the next bowler up from my point point of view to walk to come into this squad, but uh, haven't seen enough or anything really to suggest that he's going to push the test squad anytime soon. Yeah. Why don't we move on to uh, to the England team, uh, who sure. are also in the same the same group as Australia? So we will get that classic matchup at the MCG, I believe it is between these two teams. Um, the England team. If we run through the the England bat, batting options, and I mean they are stacked with all round talent, which is going to be an interesting one as to how they fit that into their eleven. But the out and out batting options are Josh Butler, who's captain, David Milan, who's uh, back in form, Phil Salt, and Alex Hales. Uh, and they all kind of fit into the top two, three, uh, three positions. They don't really go too much into the middle order. Then in the all-rounders, which is where you get the rest of your batting from, you have Moeen Ali, Harry Brook, Sam Curran, Liam Livingston, Ben Stokes, and then I guess David Willey is technically an all-rounder. So first impressions on that, Brett, good squad. Any? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, powerful. Like, that's probably the word that comes to mind, like, Going down the that list of batsmen, they're not going to be short on on power, and uh, which is is going to come in handy. And we know we know England's sort of mo when it comes to limited overs cricket. It is that sort of balls to the wall. Let's score as many as we can, score as many runs as we can, as quick as we can, and then worry about the bowling afterwards. Yeah, and I think the squad reflects that. I think the bowling options also reflect that. Um, We'll come back to that in a, in, a, in just a second. Can I ask you about Ben Stokes? Ben Stokes, does he walk into that 11 for you? Yeah, no, I think he has to. Like, yeah. if you look at it, yeah, okay, he hasn't played T20 all that much in of recent times, but for me, he's probably still the best player in the squad. He's the, the sort of talisman for England that uh, could spark him, and if they need something, you know he's going to, give it to you and he's a big game player like, yeah i would as an australian i would be more comfortable playing an english side that didn't have ben stokes in. good point good point i think i think also it maybe takes a little bit of the pressure off someone like a joss butler there's a question at, at, that i think it was came came from nick nasa hussein or someone as to whether josh butler keeps wicket or not and i think one of the concerns if there if there is a a concern for me around the squad is that Joss Butler, who had been in magnificent form shortly before taking on the captaincy, can you still unlock that ability for him to to win a to win a game to take his uh, a take his bat and basically take the game away from you while also captaining and keeping? I think I I would have a little bit of a concern around being able to make those important split decision um, decisions while you're you know. 20 yards behind the stumps and the bowlers 20 yards behind the other side of things. So I think having someone like a Ben Stokes in there might help things. He's also, Stokes is also incredible in the field. I think we always overlook that. It's how impressive he can be in the field as well, just because he does so much, so many other items. Uh, 
a there's so many other facets to his game as such. Um, I think that they're going to bat about seven or eight deep of legitimate batting. Uh, I think if I was to pick an eleven, I think you have Butler and Heels. We talked about this a couple of couple of weeks ago. I think Heels in that side is is terrifying for 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 sides. Heels is a personality where I don't think he really cares whatever anybody really thinks of him. I don't think he he cares about it what his recent form is, he he will go out and just trying to dispatch you. You've also noted that he's had pretty good success in the BBL, if I'm not mistaken, also. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. So he's used to things down there. I think it then becomes interesting. Butler and Hales, I think, are nail-ons for me to open the batting. Phil Salt, I think he's going to miss out, despite having a fantastic series in, in Pakistan. Although he could be... It's a nice comfort for, um, for the England team that if... Joss needs to take a break from the gloves that Phil Salt is in fantastic form and can come in and keep. But I do think he sits. I would then go Milan, Brooks, Brooke, Highbrook, Stokes, Ali, Livingston, which is just a monumental amount of talent in the batting uh, as you work your yeah. way down through it. Yeah. I, I think they did come out and say last week that Stokes is going to bat four in the World Cup. Interesting. So probably, I, I would pretty well agree with that, with the exception of swapping Stokes and Brook. Mm. I think Milan has to play, has to bat three. Bats very well in Australian conditions. Struggled a little bit in Pakistan so far, but that was slower conditions with bat, a bit of pace on the ball. But bats He's, well with heels as well, actually. They yeah. they had a monumental partnership or or I guess batting partnership in uh in the hundred. Yeah, I think. And the the thing is you look at that batting lineup and go, shit, that's powerful. Sort of forgetting that Bairstow's injured. <laughs> yeah. Like, where where were we going to fit him into? Like, I guess he would have been in for Hales because Hales wasn't in the original squad and come in to replace Bairstow. But, like, it, it is a sort of embarrassment of riches for the, um, for the English squad. Yeah, and, and they, they have standby players listed in their squad, which is Liam Dawson, Richard Gleeson, and Tymel Mills. But I think if we're, if we're being honest, I mean, they're, they're even from that Pakistan series, you could have Will Will Jacks, who would, if he was in that squad, I wouldn't be completely surprised. Bairstow, who's injured. Um, there are even other, some younger folks in the in the 100 who have performed well. So I think even in the... In the short format, England certainly have a lot on the on the conveyor belt to come into that team. If if you were looking to be considering Australia just a second ago in terms of the the next up level of talent to replace people like Finch and whatnot, I think if we're looking at England, they very much have that ready in place. Should folks fall out of form or should they decide like a Moeen Ali, I could see him retiring after this World Cup. I think that's yeah, you know, he he's at that stage of his career. Maybe a Chris Jordan could consider retiring. And and maybe Maybe if we move on then to talk about the bowling side of things, coming back to your point of England's MO being balls to the walls, we're going to score as many runs, and if you can chase that down, fair enough. Uh, we're we're going to have a few specialist bowlers, but we're not going to pick six in the hope that we're going to bowl you out cheaply. So they, their bowling options were uh, Chris Jordan, Adil Rashid, Reese Topley, Chris Wilkes, and uh, Mark Wood. And we have a special moment of uh, conversation around Mark Wood and just how impressive he's been since he's come back. Yeah, he is the biggest inclusion into that English squad, probably aside from Stokes. 
to the point where if he gets injured and has to drop out of the squad at all, or, or if he didn't get fit in time, you could go pretty close to, to ruling a line through England. Like, he just makes such a difference to that bowling attack and coming back to the sort of one of those keys to, to win in Australia that we were talking about, you need that out-and-out pace bowler. You've seen it in Pakistan as well, like admittedly in different conditions, but he just looked like a different class of bowler. Him, him and Harris Ralph both bowling sort of 150 Ks while everyone else is bowling 130. It's just a, a completely different ball game. It is, and I think also when you consider um, and look at the the stats that were, I mean, the Ashes was was a year ago. And you look at, um, or just over a year ago, and when you look at the the bowling performances, um, Mark Wood was head and shoulders above more or less every other, in fact, every other um, England bowler in that series. He was the only the only man that I can le- legitimately remember taking wickets in bunches, you know, four or five wickets. Uh, so he, he's, he's done it in Australia before. He does have that extra pace. Um, and it seems like his little break, his little break away from injury, uh, with the injury, he's come back quicker as well. I really think that he's running in quicker and he's he's bowling quicker too. So, um, yeah, very impressed. Um, I think it, it, how do you see the selection of of the bowling lineup there? So we, I think we both agree where they're going to they're going England are going to bat six seven deep with the likes of Ali Livingston, Stokes, even Brooke can give you a little bit of bowling option. Um, how do you see the the bowling selections lining yeah. up there? Yeah, I think it's well. The addition of wood is is very important, but I think it's actually going to balance out into a pretty handy bowling attack, particularly when you stack up the experience in Australia as well. Like Chris Wokes would be the one that I'll be leaving out of that side. Uh, along with Sam Curran would be another one out of the 15. Um, but you're talking Reese Topley, he sort of began his career resurgence uh, and come back from the injury trail with the Melbourne Renegades over here. Gotcha. David Willey's played a lot of cricket for Perth in the, the BBL. And, well, we know that Mark Wood's going to be handy. Uh, well, more than handy. Adil Rashid ticks that uh, quality risk in a box mm-hmm. and I think you end up with a, a pretty handy four. Two left armers, a wrist spinner and an out and out quick is a not a bad combination. Yeah, one hundred percent. And um when you think about Chris Jordan as well, uh Oh yeah, I forgot Chris Jordan. <laughs> yeah, what one of the one of the most talented death bowlers over the last five, six, seven years. Um the only my only concern about the bowling, I, I think, I think minor, minor Wood, Jordan, Rashid, and Topley, and I, I don't think that's controversial in any aspect of it. The, the age of some of the the bowling options worries me a little bit. I mean, Jordan, um, is quite old, quite old. I mean, could be subject to or subject to injury worries. Um, I think Wood also, like you said, coming back from injury. If, if there's any issues with him? I agree with you. I think England don't have a don't have a chance. Maybe, maybe with the exception of winning a one off game, they have enough batting power without Wood. But to consistently go through a group and into the knockout stages, they're going to need him and need him consistently. Um, and it might 
it might be important for them to win. If you look at their group, they're going to have Afghanistan, Australia, New Zealand, and then plus one from, I think, most likely West Indies or Zimbabwe or UAE and Sri Lanka. If they're going to need to win the first, I, I, I hope for their sake, I think they need to win the first three or four of their group games to be able to give someone like a wood arrest uh, prior to the knockout stages. Yeah. So I think they have more to lose in in scrapping around to get through to the the super fours or whatever it is, um, or the knockout stages than maybe some other others do in the bowling department. Yeah. And yeah, well now looking at it and realizing that I miss Chris Jordan, I think he has to play. He's another one with some experience in Australia, but he's probably the the best noted death bowler out of the squad there. I think he picks most of the boxes for your banker and someone you can bank on your skills. Mm-hmm. The, the exception is his his bad day. He can go the journey and also outstanding in the field. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's maybe, maybe I'm being tough on him with the athleticism part of it because he, you expect so much of him, but um, I feel like he did pick up a niggle from the the hundred. That's the only reason I'm I'm kind of saying that. Yeah. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, the the economy can get up into the forties uh, if it doesn't go well yeah. for him. But so there you are. Um, tell me this: Australia and England at the MCG. As an Aussie, you're confident of winning a battle there against England. Reasonably, yeah. I think it would be a, a good game. Um, it, I think it would be the kind of game that is really sort of won or lost depending on the conditions. or condi- A, conditions, but B, the toss. If there's a bit of life in the pitch, I think I'm backing Australia to, to get it done. The, a bit of help for the bowlers versus the sort of dangerous english batting attack but a bit of extra pace and bounce and a bit of movement might uh, make it just a little bit harder to swing through the line the if you end up on a an absolute road and you just go in and an out and out shooter it just becomes yeah. a genuine 50 50 like there's yeah. just absolute firepower right down both lineups yeah agreed i think for me the aussies have the I guess that the, the the tipping point for me is the Aussie bowling lineup. Um, I think there's less yeah. question marks around selecting that. I think there's more of a pedigree, if you use that word, in their their bowling lineup. Uh, having said that, you're right. It's it, England are capable of putting up 220 against any. Probably the most controversial thing that's happened in cricket over the last two weeks uh, was in a ladies' one day international between England and India. I say, I know where you're going here. This is uh, <laughs> be interesting. So I'm going to ask you a question: Is it a run out or a man card, Brett? Tell me. It's still a man card. I agree. Me. I know. I know the ICC are trying to change it and take the stigma away from the the rule or whatever, and make it fair. But for me, it it's still a man card, and I I just it. Does it right with me? It doesn't like, sit right for me. And given given the, I I think the this is such a, I realize how dumb this is going to sound, 
But if they'd done it in the second over, I would care less than the fact they did it for the ninth wicket to win the match. I think that it's yeah. To to I what it comes down to in this particular in this particular instance to do it to win the match is just it doesn't like you say sit right with me either. If I had been there at that ground, I would have been so so frustrated that I'd sat through four hours of cricket to see a match decided by that, and also to have the the kind of like enjoyment taken out of the end and kind of put a bitter taste in everybody's everybody's yeah. mouth. Um, that that's the the feeling that I walked away with it. The second thing that I walked away with was just how freaking crazy people take this. Like it is, Twitter was yeah. a, a, a complete dumpster fire after this. I saw I don't know. Did you see? Uh, not to throw anybody in particular on the bus, but did you see Harsha Bogle's series of tweets? No, I didn't actually. Me, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase or encourage anybody to go to go what look it up. Um. He wrote like a like a ten tweet thread on Twitter, uh, on how the media's reaction to Mancat demonstrates the underlying, uh, <laughs> the underlying colonial culture of the English press. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it's a run, it's a Mancat, it's a runner. This is this doesn't have yeah. to be uh, like a, a like a a cultural reflection on England. And then Ben Stokes got involved and. And to de- obviously, as England captain, had to defend the culture of the team that he he captains. But I, it, I, it was just shocking to me that it happens. A couple of people try to make statements and say, "Well, it's legal in the laws, yeah, but it's not the right thing," and it just blows up. You get yeah all sorts going on. But um, yeah, it's look. Yeah, I, I think I agree with everything you've said there. It's. For me, I don't think I could do it as a as a cricketer. The the thing that doesn't sit as well with me is the fact that it was planned. Like you you see some of the replays and you see uh, Harman Preet Kaur essentially urging Sharma to do it as an opportunistic kind of thing. Uh, okay, yeah, don't mind it too much. Or if the batsman is genuinely taking the piss, and I I did see the the stat come out that it was something like the 72nd time that Charlie Dean had left her crease before the bowler had let go of the <laughs> ball. Um, but for me, I think it needs to be a bit more of an official warning through the umpire of like set up like, yeah, okay, it, it's, it's legal. It's fine. There were claims that warnings were given that uh, were then refuted. So I'm not really sure how it ended up sort of going down that path, but I think it needs to be more of a, a pause in play of, okay, look, look, I didn't do it this time. That's your warning and make it really clear to the umpire and the batsman so that everyone's there. And then after that, it, it's probably fair game. Yeah. I did kind of like Elise Perry's thing of, okay, if, you, if you're going to do it to someone, <laughs> at least do it to England. That was uh, a little bit cheeky, but I got a bit of a laugh out of it. Yeah, but I, th- like I, th- I think that's the. I understand it. It was a it was a run out slash mancad to win, uh, a series a T Twenty series. I think if I'm the ICC, I'm very worried that that happens in a World Cup. Like if you if yeah. you are trying to grow the game and you're trying to get additional spectators in, and that is the reason in a God forbid a World Cup final that somebody is out, it's a terrible situation for for anybody. Um, 
I also completely acknowledge the fact that um, the England batsman was taking an unfair advantage. I mean, there's yeah. no way around it. And if you're taking the unfair advantage, you can't expect everything to go your way all the time. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's something that needs to be. I think the, the suggestion you made, you made, where there needs to be a, a claim, almost like a, almost like a running on the wicket, kind of set. You know, you're running yeah. on the wicket. You're, you know, could be a mistake. Give you the benefit of the doubt, but here's your warning. I think that might be the best, yeah. the best option uh, around it. Um, yeah, I, I just I've never seen a, a man cad come out the other side as everybody going, yeah, well that was. We all left feeling nice and rosy that that happened. That's just, yeah. just not the, not the reason. I, I must say, I can't wait for someone to do it to India. <laughs> like, yes, I'm, I'm going to absolutely lose my lose my stuff laughing. Like, could you imagine the uproar if, like, I don't know, Shadab Khan does it to Kohli <laughs> in a World Cup semi final? Like it'll, it'll be the end of the world. <laughs> it would, it would be the end of the world. You're absolutely right. It would be the end of the world. And much like I was saying, Twitter was a dumpster fire. One of the recurring things that was on there afterwards was uh, people trying to equate the whole Ben Stokes final thing, World Cup final. The ball's thrown in. He puts his bat out, dive for the crease. Yeah. The ball goes goes for five runs or four runs or whatever it is. Not, not. Not equivalent, and also it's not it's like the two wrongs doesn't do make a right thing. Like everybody just misses that. I would love to see, to your point, if it happens to India, what the um, what what memes would be posted after that to justify the fact that run Mankat and Kohli was not appropriate. So yeah, yeah, I think it would be it'd be a nice laugh, and uh, yeah, I, maybe in. Five or ten years' time, it'll be a little bit more normal. But for now, it's it still sits uh, a little bit wrong with with uh, the, well, I, by the sound of it, both of us and and a lot of other cricket fans out there. But you raise a good point. Like there was a big enough uproar about the the end of the last one day World Cup with the the four off Stokes bat, and then which admittedly he did try and ask the umpires to discredit the four. And then winning by boundary count back, but um, yeah, like that was a bad enough pull out of a World Cup. If if there's a, a man cat or a run out in that scenario to decide a World Cup, like it'll just be on. Yeah, and and here's the thing: it will like it can happen if you're if you're Rohit Sharma and you're facing Pakistan in a World Cup. And Babar Azam, they need they need ten off the last over, and Babar Azam is consistently coming out of his crease. What's worse, losing the World Cup or Mahan cutting Babar? It's an easy decision. Yeah. Like it is, it is. It's an easy decision for him. So it, it can happen. Um, and I guess, like I guess for me, there's a difference between planning to do it and it almost being like an opportunistic thing, like. And in that scenario, you're looking at it and you're going, okay, we, we need to get it out. But if you're deliberately running, if you're running into bowl, deliberately planning on not letting go of the ball, that's where I think it's a bit shit. Like yeah. if you happen to be running into bowl and you're about to deliver and you look and see that old mate's a metre out of his crease already, then yeah, absolutely. If you can stop, stop. But when you're running in, 
and you're you know you're intending not to bowl the batsman's you're, expecting you to bowl you're and you're it, looking, it almost uh, uh, yeah you're looking at the batsman like that was the case yeah you're almost bordering around some of the deceptive fielding rules and five penalty runs that are supposed to happen if you pretend to field the ball and you don't have it Moving on to something a little uh, a little more serious, something we take very seriously here at the Six and Out podcast. Um, Brian mentioned a couple of weeks ago around, um, I think your your six of the week was seeing Raheem uh, Cornwall open the batting and kind of given a, I guess, given <laughs> given an inspiration to all those big units out there. Um, so yeah. Brett, Brett's done some very, very hard work. Why don't you tell, tell us about all your, your hard work and research on this on this wonderful item we have on the podcast? Yeah, so stemming from that six of the week and the, the shout-out to the Barbados Royals for for playing uh, Cornwall and Azam Khan in the same side at, as two big blokes and as a somewhat of a, an overweight cricketer myself, um, I've taken the chance to go off and compile a list of the top ten big units to play uh, international cricket. <laughs> um and so, so is this is this any kind of international cricket or or what yeah so it could be t20 it could be one day it could be uh test matches okay all right lay it on me i can't wait to hear it all right so i've got a couple of honorable mentions to start with these are two guys whose nicknames suggest they could be in this lineup but overall weren't actually all that big one is Mark Tuppy Taylor, uh, obviously the former Australian <laughs> captain. And you got a nickname of Tubby. Okay, it's fairly self-explanatory, but he wasn't, uh, in comparison to some of the, the big boys on this list, he wasn't all that big. So I, I guess, I guess one, the t- Tubby sits just below big unit on the scale of, of, yeah. of units. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one. Ian Beefy Botham. Oh, yes. He's yes, yes. actually a pretty fit dude, but the nickname itself has to get a uh, – the Beefy nickname has to get a mention in the big unit uh, world. Yeah, and I feel it's like a rite of passage that any any slightly overweight cricketer in a, any team I've been involved in was automatically called Beefy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like a rite of passage for, for any amateur cricket team. Yeah. Actually, get it a bit at golf than my uh, similarities in looks to uh, Andrew Beef oh. uh, Johnston. <laughs> yeah, we well, have the beard as well. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it sort of rotates between that and Shane Lowry. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> he, two, two big units, I think. If we're doing the golf of big yeah. units, I think they both make the team as well. <laughs> well, Beef's actually lost a lot of weight now. He's, he's not as big as he once was. Well, he's also disappeared off the golf scene, so maybe there's something to be said for the maintenance of the of the unit structure if it's working for you. True. All right. Anyway, into the top ten. Starting off, and he's the smallest of the big units on this list. We're starting off with Arjuna Ranatunga. <laughs> yeah. He was pretty small, but he was a, a fairly stocky kind of unit. Um, I just. It, Whenever I think of some of these big units, I'm just reminded of the story of uh, uh, Shane Warne and Ian Healy trying to come up with a plan of getting Ranatunga out of his crease to try and uh, have him out stumped. And 
the plan from uh, Healy was to pop a Mars bar on a good length to, <laughs> to draw him out. <laughs> Which, to Arjuna's credit, his reply was, I bet Booney will beat me there. <laughs> Oh, amazing. I've actually, I've just looked up a picture of him. Uh, I mean, first of all, hell of a cricketer to to start the top 10. A legitimate, like, one of the all-time Sri Lankan greats. So um, they can play 100%. But, yeah, uh, yeah. he carrying a little bit of the, the extra tire around the waist, it's fair to say. In terms of the top 10, he's probably top three, maybe four of the actual quality of cricketer. On the list. Yeah. Well, these um, these, these guys. Right. I, I imagine most of these guys are from a, a cricket age that is long past. But we will see see if that holds true or not. Yeah, a little bit of a mix of generations, but pretty much. Um. All right. So coming in at number nine, we've got a a man who lost a place in a World Cup squad in two thousand and eleven because he refused to lose weight. Which is Samit Patel? Okay. <laughs> I was actually wondering if it was if he was going to make the uh, make the yeah, and and to his credit has stuck to his guns. I saw him in the hundred this year, and he's 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 still throwing down as we as we darts and can still hit a big ball, but a quick single wouldn't wouldn't be in his uh, in his arsenal. Let me put it that way. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's slotted in at number nine on the list. Yeah, moving on to number eight, we go to a, a former Australian coach, Darren Lehman. Oh yeah, yeah. Always, always a fairly, fairly stocky unit. He was not the not the biggest of the big units going around, but he was a little sort of power ball, and he was particularly in his later years, he was uh, not massive, but he he was a real sort of thick unit. Yeah, like uh, in the nicest way possible, but the kind of guy you would see at the pub on a Saturday night, um, watching yeah. the, watching the football. Yeah, one hundred percent. Or the um, kind of guy you'd see every Saturday in local cricket on the field. <laughs> yeah, no, one hundred percent. Do you think? Uh, do you think his legacy is going to be based around his big unit stature or something else? Uh, pro- probably something else. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what that could be. <laughs> we'll, we'll steer clear of that one for now. <laughs> Anyway, moving on to number seven, and this is a we get a little bit of an Australian flavour through parts of this list. Number seven, the the guy they called Baby Buff, which was Mark Cosgrove. Mark Cosgrove. Okay. Now this is the first yeah. name that I I'm not one hundred percent familiar with. So tell me a bit about Mark Cos Cosgrove. So, so Mark Cosgrove, the South Australian, same as Darren Lehman. He grew up. He was suspended early in his career when he was 21 or 22 for failing uh, to to get his fitness up to scratch. Well, that's a good start for the big Did unit. Did still play, I believe, a couple of games for Australia, but was always one of these guys. He was a prodigious batting talent, but just refused to or was unable to get his weight under any sort of control. He was. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to look him up yet. Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he's I actually seen a couple a big of big boy. I see a couple of pictures of him bowling as well, which given his, here's the headline, Mark Cosgrove hits 34 runs in one over in grade cricket. And I mean, 
no harm to the man, but uh, yeah, he's not. He's he's a physic. He's a physical specimen, but not the physical specimen you would want to be. You would imagine okay. hitting thirty four runs in and over. Um, but yeah, God, that's that is a good one. I mean, you is it the meat pies in Australia? What is it that's doing this, Brad? Well, they actually reckon it was when he when he went to England. Oh. They uh, like I was reading through the article of when they suspended him for for not turning up in the right shape, and they say. Like whenever he was with the the Redbacks, he would train. He would they'd be able to get him to eat moderately right and that kind of thing. But uh, they didn't actually want him to go and play county cricket in England because they were worried about him putting him in a a scenario to go and uh, have a few too many hot chips and curries and those kind of things and come back uh, back where he started. Yeah, it's kind kind of same thing. Kind of helping Shane Warren as well. The first year he went off to. England, I think his parents talk about coming to pick him up at the airport, coming back, and they barely recognised who he was because he'd been having six, seven pints a day. Um, but yeah, there you go. He, he did carve out a pretty good domestic career, though. Like he, once he left the Redbacks, he went and played for Tasmania for a period of time, and he, he carved out a reasonable, reasonable domestic career. I mean, he averaged he averaged thirty seven with a bat for Australia. Yeah, albeit on three innings and like, um, with a high score of seventy four, yeah. he could play the game. He was just one of those. He was probably the first player that I can recall being actively left out of a side on sort of fitness basis and those kind of things, and just a, a pure inability or want to get it under control. Yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame, but. Um... Certainly, you can see why he he fits in. Was it number seven on the yeah. big unit eleven? And uh, yeah, I mean, looks like he's gonna he's gonna add a ton of runs for uh for the big for the big units, the big unit side. Yeah, rounding out the top half of the list, we we get to a bowler, and not just any bowler. We've got a pace bowler, oh. which is uh, none other than Big Merv Hughes. Yeah, I had suspected Merv might might make it on there. Uh, probably probably lucky to have the moustache he did because that seems to be the the, the physical uh, attribute that I remember more about Merv than anything else. But uh, yeah, would, would also make the uh, big moustache eleven. <laughs> he would probably captain the big moustache eleven. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Founded the big moustache eleven. <laughs> But uh, yeah, big, big unit, big personality. The crowd loved him, particularly in Victoria. But uh, extra credit for bowling all those overs and getting that frame moving and still getting the ball down at 130 odd clicks an hour. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm one of, Merv was one of those guys. Whenever I I was growing up, he even my my dad who who liked cricket but wouldn't have been, you know, a, a super fan of it. Merv was known as a real fiery, spicy. Everybody, everybody knew Merv Hughes for the mustache. Everybody knew Merv Hughes for the grief he was given batsmen. I mean, he was he has a legacy in many departments. But glad to see his name on the uh, the big unit ten or top ten. All right, so now we're into the top five. This is where we start to get to the the business end, and and some pretty big units here. <laughs> So at number five, 
we've got uh, none other than, and I had to actually look this up because the translation for his nickname was actually Potato. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> none other than Inzamamulhak. Inzamamulhak's nickname translates to potato. Holy Jesus. Yeah. That His is... nickname was apparently Alu, which translates. Alu Gobi, which to... is like, yeah, that's like a, a potato yeah. spicy potato. Holy God. Wow. Uh, that's that's something. I, I did not know that. That's, hey, that's. That's only the kind of insight you get in the Six Nine podcast. Jesus. Yeah. But uh big, big unit, not great between the wickets, but uh could hit a cricket ball. Absolutely good cricket ball. Good captain, great mind. I think there was a uh I heard a story not that long ago where I think Inzamam was I can't remember if it was Inzamam who's batting or whether he was the fielding coach, but he so he claims to be able to to tell from three forward defensives whether someone will have a successful test career in cricket, which I thought was interesting. I also think it's total bullshit, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, but the potato, wow. Yeah, and and some horror horror stories. There used to be an old uh, DVD my brother got me for my, like my 15th birthday or something like that, which is Phil Tuffinell's Tuffers Duffers. There was like a half an hour section in that dedicated to Inzamam Alhaq and all his dodgy runouts. <laughs> Of him falling into his own stumps. <laughs> yeah, not the most uh, agile athletic, but you're right. He could hit a cricket ball. Plenty of runs off that bat. Yeah. Right. Moving on to number four, we get to the little keg on legs, David Boone. Yeah, I thought David Boone might. And yeah. uh, David Boone, the man who would get to the Mars bar before Arjun Ranatunga would. Yeah. And, uh, I guess most famous for his uh, exploits on a, a flight to, I believe it was to England or from England, from Australia, and uh, the amount of cans of beer he managed to consume, I believe was up over 20 mark. 20? Let me, let me confirm that. David oh, Boone. Jesus. That, that would put him into uh, the same echelon as uh, darts player Andy Fordham, who was a, he, he was. Okay. And not even 20. 52 cans of beer on a single flight. Jesus. I don't know if planes carried that much beer. And it was it was the Australian record. <laughs> I believe it still is the Australian record. <laughs> don't they say that alcohol so, has an extra impact on you whenever you're at that altitude? So there used to be a little, little asterisk against that. that. That's mad. So, so here we go. The uh, Rod Marsh and Doug Walters had both drank 44 cans of beer each in 1973 on the way back home from the West Indies. Uh, that stood for a while until, when was that, 1989, when uh, Booney decided to to just crack through a, a nice 50, 52. 52, jeez. I wonder what his beer of choice is. Does does he does he appear on the commercials or advertising advertising for beers in in Australia? If he doesn't, somebody's missing a trick in the in the advertising commercial. I believe he was a VB man. He did appear. VB used to have these little bobblehead uh, like beer opener kind of things that would talk to you during a game. There used to be a beefy Botham one and a David Boone one. Um, that. Uh, 
And they were kind of synced up somehow to the actual cricket. Whenever there was a wicket, it would start talking. Right. They were pretty cool. Did, did, did his have a catchphrase to do with beer, I wonder? Nah, not, not from memory. Well, here, I'm glad that he brought up, up his half century. That is, that's, I actually don't even know what to say to that. That's ridiculous, but quite impressive. Oh, here we go. Boom later became a brand ambassador of VB. There you go. Good for him. All his hard work went went into something, came to fruition. Glad to see. Holy Jesus. Yeah, right. God, I, who, who's, who's ahead of him? That's mad. Well, number three, you know, this is, this would be a controversial placing here because on quality of cricketer, far and away deserves number one. Uh, as a big unit, he became a significantly smaller unit as he got older. But uh, kicking off the top three, we've got none other than the great Shane Warne. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, but uh, early days, pretty big unit. And we mentioned before when he went to England, uh, came back and his parents barely recognised him. Yeah, I think I, I, I watched a documentary with him re, about him recently. We were on a plane, actually, as I was flying back, and they spent a good good 20 minutes talking about his health and how you get back into shape and all that kind of stuff. But some of the foods that he was eating in, in England, the curries, the deep-fried Mars bars, the... I think, they, I think he was living in the changing rooms of a cricket club and had access to the bar. And obviously that was you know, <laughs> detrimental to his shape. But yeah, I'm reading here that he's lost 30 pounds at a time, which is a lot. That's a, a ton of weight. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's number three on the list. Yeah, And to, as far as big units go, Big personality, big player, just just big all round. Yeah, and, big, uh, big on the field, rest off the field. One hundred percent. He was a genuine, genuine superstar. You'll you'll never see a we'll never see anybody like him again. In the no no way. I mean, when he was doing his commentary, it was it was some of the best commentary as well. Um, when he was doing his little docu series as a, uh, as a series was coming up. When he was do- even when he was doing his math, he did a masterclass on Sky Sports. If you have a chance to go watch that, it's just everything yeah. he says is really, really, uh, you just can't help but listen. Whenever he talked, it's in so many ways, he was a unique individual. Um, so, yeah, number two now, I don't think I've seen a cricketer sort of rise to prominence in gain sort of cult. Uh, following as quickly as this bloke did, I believe in 2011 with just one moment, which is uh, Dwayne Leverock, the, the captain of the Bermuda side. I, I, I have expected this man to be captain of, of the big unit side. Uh, when we, when we, you said you were going to do this, that was the first name that came to mind uh, with the incredible yeah. slips catch. Yeah, big, big diving, full length to the right. Shirts coming up over the gut. It's great. <laughs> I believe he also took Kevin Peterson's wicket in that World Cup. Little left arm. He wasn't the worst. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't the worst little left arm bowler. Well, not little, but 
it was a big unit, but uh, he wasn't the worst left arm spinner I've ever seen. No, he's very, very, very handy. I actually saw him play in Ireland in about 2010 or something like that in a, one of these World Cup qualifying events. And after na- after Kevin O'Brien, everybody else was there to see Dwayne Lebrock. I mean, the, he came <laughs> on the field and the, like I say the crowd, there was about probably about 3,000 people there, but the applause and the cheering was about as much for him as it was for whenever the Ireland team walked out. Um, yeah, uh, I'm just looking at the picture. It's iconic. It's absolutely iconic. Yeah, it's just one of those uh, one of those ones that's sort of etched in pretty well everyone's memory. It is a game. Yeah. He proves it's a game for him. World Cup was the, was the the catch. Yeah. Now it's probably. Probably not a secret who who number one is on this list, considering he was the inspiration for the list. But for mine, the biggest big unit to ever step foot on a cricket field is Raheem Cornwall. And he would have been, if this was an 11 rather than a, a top 10 countdown, I think he would have probably taken the captaincy as well, just by pure alpha, being the alpha of being the biggest of the big units. Just pure unit dominance. But uh, six foot five, one hundred and forty kilos. Bowls little, little offies. Not much. Not expending much energy. Twenty bats. The the singles aren't really an option. He's just trying to hit the ball out of the ground. Stands at first slip. The ball. I remember watching one of the CPL games. You stand at first slip. Or a ball went past him. No more than half a meter to the left of his ankle. Didn't move. as he's probably as far as an international cricketer goes he's the closest thing i've seen to like a club level cricketer just in terms of the the way he goes about the game he's uh he's something special he is and and uh i mean again it's it's proof that to play this game you don't have to be yeah, in the, at least in the past, you you and actually he's very current. You don't have to be the uh, yeah the the six pack toting gun smoking all you know all singing all dancing Mister Motivator fit. I mean, you can really yeah he can. I'm look I'm looking at I'm looking at somebody who's put together put together a a, a summary on it. Is it Raheem Cornwell? Raheem Cornwell, twenty age twenty four position all rounder physique. All rounder, we <laughs> weaknesses, quick quick twos, strengths T, balls pies and eats pies. Um, so that's that was on. Kudos to sportsbet.com.au. But um, here the man the man actually has performed well in CPL recently. I think his batting has been pretty pretty decent, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he, towards the the back end of the CPL, he really sort of got into some nice form. And oh, well. he, he hit a, a 90 off about 40 balls or something in one of the games. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's clearly got power and strength. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, yeah. He puts his weight through. He's going <laughs> it out of the ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is, he in the, uh, is he in the squad for the West Indies? No. No. R- rumour has it the West Indies cricket board didn't want to pay for the two seats for him. 
Sheldon Cottrell could have solved that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Brett, thank you. I, I very much enjoy that. I learned a lot there that aloo means potato. I, st- I can't believe they, somebody would call their captain the potato. That's like blows <laughs> my mind. <laughs> but, uh, okay, well, we'll, yeah, we'll leave it there. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, what What's next for the what What What's the next top ten you got coming on? Maybe top ten bean poles or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure something will will catch my eye. Perhaps maybe yeah, the top yeah. the top ten boozers of all time because that David Boone style is rid- I can't I can't get my head around that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that, that could be one. We we could go with the top ten mustaches or top ten facial hair in. In international cricket, or maybe we ask the the, the listeners, hey, if, do, you, do you have a top ten you want us to do? Hit us up on Twitter at Six and Official uh, on there. Um, send in what you want us to do, and uh, Brett Brett can do his hard homework like he did for the big unit uh, unit top if ten. If we ever get the if we ever get the capability to display videos, uh, which isn't so good for our uh, listeners on Spotify or or uh, Apple or anything like that, but. Uh, I would like to do top 10 people getting hit in the balls by a <laughs> cricket ball. It's, uh, there's a lot of Englishmen that feature on that list, by the way. Yeah, well, I know that uh, is it Bumble has a story. He talks about his like getting hit in there and his box actually cracked into two, which is, yeah, sends shivers down the spine of any man. Um, there's also, I don't know if you've seen the footage of the guy in amateur cricket who is... He tries to dive for the ball, misses it, and his teammate comes round behind him and picks up the ball and goes to throw it at the stumps, but throws it right, right as, as ours. I mean, there's yeah. we could have a lot of fun with that. But uh, yeah, but on that note, Joe Root gets hit in the groin more times than any batsman I've ever seen. Like, I reckon it happens once a test. <laughs> He's, a, he's in good company with Liam Livingston as well. He seems to get hit an yeah. awful lot in, in Australia. He probably is having nightmares on that plane down to Australia thinking about yeah. past outings. They're, they're probably tingling if he yeah. gets to purr. <laughs> His spidey senses. <laughs> okay, well, here, we'll leave, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Brett. I, I really enjoyed that. And uh, we will see you all next time. Thank you. No worries. See you, guys. See ya.